Oh. Welcome everyone to KRFY Morning Show. My name is Julie Prochinski and I'm here with my co-host, Julie Calamine. Hey, Julie Prochinski, how are you? I'm doing good. Julie, we have a special recorded episode of Garden Life today on the topic of hydroponic gardening. And joining us, we have the president and vice president of the University of Idaho's Hydroponic Club. Daniel Guillory, welcome. Nice to be here. Thank you. And Mia Wanstrom, welcome to you, Mia. Hi, thanks. Thanks for joining us today. And I guess we'll start with Daniel. Daniel, take a minute and introduce yourself and let us know where you came to your interest in hydroponics. So I see some names, Daniel Guillory. I'm the president of the Hydroponics Club. I've been so um, just for this or the first part of this year. Um, last year, I was the vice president and before I was the secretary. So I've been involved for a little bit over two years in the club. I initially joined the club because I was part of another club, the Plant Soil Science Club, and had friends that were also involved in the hydroponics club. And they needed some help with additional officers to have a complete team to be able to operate. But um, I think what really interested me initially in hydroponics is the ability um, to have a really flexible setup. You can grow anywhere, you can grow at any time. You're not really as restricted as you are if you're growing in a soil-based system. So that's kind of where I got involved. And also the aspect of sustainability is very interesting to me. Neat. And how about you, Mia? How did you come to this position? So before I came to the university, I'd never seen much about hydroponics aside from like an article of, in, the, in the news. Um, so when I came here and I saw all of our like fancy hydroponic systems around campus, because we have quite a few around. We have one in our dining hall, we have one in one of our buildings, the um, IRIC, plus we have a bunch in the greenhouse. And so I was really fascinated by, for one, just how quickly they would grow. Like it would seem like I would be in the greenhouse for a lab one week, and then the next week they would have practically doubled in size. So I was really interested to learning more about how that worked and how they're just growing in water. Sure. And for folks who are, uh, maybe we haven't mentioned it, you're in Moscow. Yeah. That's yeah. correct. Neat. That's neat. That's great. Take us, uh, just take us into your, your growing system and introduce us to what kind of a greenhouse do you have? Is it just a, a warehouse or let us know how you're doing it there. Um, so it's a polycarbonate greenhouse and it, um, it's not, it's not a warehouse that has multiple segmented rooms because it's used for uh, research. So they're divided up. Uh, researchers. So we have part of a bay that we rent out and we use that to grow. Um, there's a couple of systems, there's three that are in the greenhouse. And then the other systems, as Mia said, were in the eatery, which is the dining hall for our um, Wallace Living Center. We have two towers that we maintain in there. And there is another um, system that we have in the Integrative Research Center. So those are our, our systems. Okay, describe a tower. I mean, I think of hydroponics as a lot of little pots, but a tower sounds like things are going up, up, up. So yeah, it's a it's a cylindrical tower um, in the year. We have two of them and it's what's called a nutrient film technique. Um, and what happens basically is you have plants that are oriented around it in a circle in little pods. And at the top, there's a drip emitter that drips water on the sides and creates a film of nutrients that wick into a substrate to keep the plants fed and well watered. Okay, and so it's around it. a wicking system. 
guess it's a yeah, that's correct. It's a it's a working system, but there's no like felt, so it's just a film of nutrient on my plastic. Hmm. Well, you've explained something about the growing setups, but why don't you give us us and listeners um, a bit of an explanation of the science of hydroponics? What's it all about? I heard about water and dripping and nutrients and substrates, and I imagine sunlight has to come in there somewhere. Absolutely. So um, the main principle of hydroponics, what it boils down to, is essentially growing without the addition of soil. And um, the medium that we use is water. So traditionally, soil in soil acts to hold nutrients in because it has colloids, which are negatively charged around the outside of them that nutrients can adhere to. And water flows through it and creates a soil solution that the nutrients can then be solubilized in and then taken up through the roots. So essentially what we're doing is cutting the soil out of the equation and the nutrients are just soluble in the liquid itself. So depending on the charge of it, the plants will emit either protons or um, hydroxyl groups into the water to uptake the nutrients. So um, it takes out the colloid and makes it much more available for the plants. And then, as you said, light is also very important. It's important for um, photosynthesis, the production of ATP, which is then used to reduce um, carbon dioxide into sugars. So we use uh, lights for that. We use, we're trying to use more LEDs. And uh, the reason why is that even though they're more expensive up front, they're cheaper to run. And then also they emit much less heat than other, other forms of um, illumination. We have a couple bulbs that are high pressure sodium in one room, and we also have some incandescent bulbs, but LEDs are by far the best option for um, growing. And then the substrate that I was talking about is rockwool, which is a mineral substance that is um, blown up into like a really fluffy um, cube. It almost looks like insulation. And so the purpose of that is just to provide structure for the plants so that they can grow. So they don't just fall over. Other forms that we also use include perlite and um, also there's cocoa pebbles. We don't use those. Okay. Well, Rockwell, I think, is sort of an ancient insulation, isn't it, Julie P? Didn't they put that in walls years and years yes. ago? Yeah. So, and perlite, we all know about that from our own home gardens, but Rockwell, how interesting. I, I got to think that's a, a very early form of insulation that we maybe saw in the 20s and 30s. Yeah. So, uh, Dee, could you take us back to the to the original history of hydroponics? I mean, where did it come from? How did it uh, arise? So I think there were some pretty early forms of it from what I read. Um, the Hang Towers of Babylon were one of the original seven wonders of the world. And it's kind of debated to their as to whether they actually existed or not and to the extent that they were technically hydroponics. But it was essentially a large city that had a system of aqueducts that fed plants um, nutrient solution. There's also some examples. Um, the Aztecs had used rafts with um, some silt on top of them on top of water, which I mean, I don't know if I'd technically consider it hydroponics because there was silt dredged up from the lake and put on top of it. So I don't know if that would be considered an inner growing material, but um, it really took off in the 40s, I would say. Um, there was a professor from UC Berkeley, um, sorry, UC Berkeley, William Garrick, who was a big proponent of hydroponics. He grew a lot of things, um, including tobacco, tomato. I think he grew a record growing um, 25 foot, foot, foot um, tall tomato in his backyard that produced an insane amount of fruit. So he was a big proponent of it and thought it would be kind of the future of agriculture. Um, there were people that definitely disagreed with it initially and tried to prove that 
soil production was more efficient, but they eventually disproved that. So um, it's highly efficient and it's kind of come back. There's been a big resurgence of interest. Um, I remember in a recent class that I took, we actually discussed um, production in Singapore, which imports a lot of their goods. So there's a lot of interesting countries that are importing a lot of their produce to use hydroponics as a means of having more local production as opposed to bringing it from somewhere else. Well, that was an amazing comment about ancient civilizations that may have used hydroponics. I, I love that little bit of history. And uh, also that it's happened more recently in the 30s and 40s. But Julie, can you imagine those ancient civilizations already thinking about That's that? That's cool. Well, those big cities, you know, they had to feed the people somehow. And I suppose they came to it the same way we've come to it as a as a chance to feed more people so you've mentioned a lot of advantages to it are there any disadvantages to it um unfortunately like anything there are there are drawbacks um currently a lot of our production is using petroleum-based um fuels i mean uh, sorry petroleum-based fertilizers they're used for feedstock to produce fertilizers so we still have that reliance um also, it can be prohibitively expensive, which can sometimes be an issue for smaller producers. Um, so that can sometimes be a problem. Um, I'm trying to think of any other issues. Can you think of any? Um, largely just the higher costs. And some plants that are like tomatoes, what if we can't like grow tomatoes in say, our eatery towers or our NFT systems because they just have such a large root mass that they have to have quite a bit of perlite or some other substrate so they can really root in there. Otherwise they can tip over and they just don't um, have the space. What about the nutritional values of hydroponically grown food versus mm, more conventionally grown food? From what I've read, the vitamin content is relatively identical. The difference can be in mineral content. So depending on how well you, you feed your system, what you, what you put in is what you're, you're gonna get out. And uh, a great thing about hydroponics is you can be very precise with what you add, but the flip side of that is if you're negligent in any way, it'll come through at the end of my human, as with, as with traditional production, but it's much more, I would say, dramatic in hydroponics just because you do have complete control. That makes sense. Um, Mia, what about, or this is, I've got to preface this question with a debate that occurs at here in our Sandpoint farmer's market. Um, the traditional growers of organic food seem to have a beef with the hydro hy the hydroponic folks that would want to be organic. Uh, what do you, do you want to offer input? Is there any information about whether organic, is there such a thing, first of all, of as organically grown hydroponics? And what is this debate all about? So in our systems here at the university, we don't use organic fertilizers. Um, I've heard of a couple of people using them and having issues with um, fungus. Mm. So in a lot of countries, they don't allow organic certification in soilless production, um, but I hear in the US it is. So there's a bunch of different sources of nutrients. Um, a lot of different hydroponic systems will be using like synthetic fertilizers, but there's actually quite a few different things. Um, a lot of the same fertilizers people will put in say like their own gardens, like compost or worm casting, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't have a ton of experience personally with organic production in hydroponics. Yeah, fair Maybe enough. It's an ongoing debate for sure in Sandpoint. Julie P. 
I, I did read that it is, it's following the lines is probably the biggest drawback is to get that clear, um, without any debris going through your lines. And that's, that's the problem. And that's probably where the bacteria comes in too, from the organic matter. Absolutely. There's a, there's, they can, a lot of, uh, sources of, um, fertilizers can become rancid pretty quick. And especially if you have a system where it's not being aerated, a good way to deal with that is also a biofilm. So you can encourage the, I'm sorry, a biofilter. So you can encourage the, the growth of beneficial bacteria to better break down nutrients. Um, as far as the controversy, um, you can use the, the correct amendments to not to class to be classified as organic. So I don't quite understand the argument that it isn't organic as long as you satisfy the criteria that that certification entails, it appears reasonable that it could be possible. Julie P., do you know more about that conversation at the market? Have you heard more of it? or I I haven't. I just uh, heard a little tidbit this, this last summer that um, some people believed it shouldn't be um, USDA organic certified, but that's all I know about it. I shouldn't have probably even mentioned it because I don't understand what the, what the, issues are but when i read about it finding that it was just difficult to end up extra the addition of the biofilters that's something that a simple hydroponic system wouldn't have um you don't need it it's not that it wouldn't necessarily help um the bacteria that help with nitrification are present ubiquitously but um it's just the issue of availability of nitrogen is lower when you're using organic options as opposed to um, inorganic fertilizers, they're very readily available in yes. organic fertilizers for comparison. Right. So it's not necessary, but it's also something that if you're thinking of doing um, aquaponics, for example, you should definitely invest in. Yeah, makes sense. We have, you know, retired soil scientists up in this area, and there's so much more conversation happening about um, soil health and the quality of uh, food that you produce from that. And so I think that might be where some of this debate is stemming. I, I, I do. Are you saying like because the organic is so heavily based on soil restoration, feeding your soil, that it shouldn't yes. be under the same umbrella? I could, I can see that argument. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. it'll it'll be interesting as your as the industry develops hey what about the flavor and taste is it identical how how do these how do the plants taste so with a lot of our leafy greens like our lettuce and spinach we haven't really noticed a difference um the one thing we have noticed is uh our tomatoes and peppers do sometimes seem to have a slightly different taste or a different texture and we're not completely sure why that is it could be something to do with nutrients or Potentially, they do tend to grow a little bit quicker. I'm not sure if that's part of why they taste and have a different texture. Dan, you wanna add on to that? I would agree that it has a part of it. And then also, I've also noticed that just growing in a greenhouse, just affect, it affects the flavor. If you take two identical varieties of tomato, put one outside, put in the greenhouse, they just, they don't taste quite the same. I think the sun, the heat and the sun really affect both peppers and tomatoes taste. Yes, I, I would agree with that. Yes. Another issue is also a lot of the varieties that are really well suited to greenhouse production and hydroponic production are not the most flavorful. They're bred for different purposes, and that kind of forces the breeders to neglect taste in some instances. What are your favorite varieties 
of tomatoes that you grow hydroponically? So we haven't grown a ton hydroponically, but I would say probably our, I would, my favorite at least would be, we have some um, orange pear tomatoes, orange pear, like cherry tomatoes. I really yes. enjoy those. I think they have really good taste to them. But those yeah. are also my favorite. I really like cherry tomatoes. Especially Me too. I'm a total cherry tomato fanatic. I just think they taste great. So That's I right. think, yeah. Powerful punch of flavor in that little fruit. That's for sure. So let's just take a second and walk us through a home hydroponic system. If you were talking to our listeners, the people who are really interested in setting up their own system, take us through that. What does it look like? So I've seen quite a few different ones. One of the one of the little like mini types of hydroponic systems that we work with the most is called a cracky system. And it's essentially with ours, we usually get a mason jar and spray paint it black because a big issue with, with hydroponics is if you have um, this really nutrient rich water and light touches it, then you can get algae production, which will can cause it smells weird and it will eat up all the nutrients. So you try to avoid that as much as possible. So if we're doing say like a mini system, then we're probably gonna have it painted black or something opaque so the light can't get in it. And then there's a lot of different nutrient solutions available. I've heard quite a few people have had a lot of success with buying like small ones from Amazon. And a lot of times if you're trying to do more of like a DWC setup, so like a bigger one, um, a lot of aquarium, aquarium equipment is suitable for that, like an air bubbler or an air stone. Oh. And I've known quite a few people who have had a lot of success with just getting like a small, like five to 10 gallon tote and drilling holes in the top. And then using something interesting that I've seen recently is people use pool noodles instead of rock bowl. Like they'll sprout the seeds until they're just seedlings, take them out of soil and then put them into these little pool noodles um, just so that they have something to be suspended in that their roots can anchor into and then consistently be refilling the nutrient solution. In our larger systems, we have to um, check the pH often and add either an acid or a base to make sure that it stays within a good pH range. But with a lot of these smaller systems, that isn't very necessary because it's such a smaller volume. And so I've met, seen a lot of different people have different setups for those. Yeah, so interesting because that's important in our gardening in the soil, but I was gonna make a comment. I bet there's a ton of old aquariums available at the thrift stores, Julie. Yeah. Just sit around. <laughs> good way to get started and not expensive. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually found a little um, like mini hydroponic system at a thrift store the other day. And I'm working on getting it set up now. Yeah, I mean, because we're all interested in the economics, when we grow our own food, we want it to be good and high quality, but we also, you know, look at the financing part, economics. So uh, that might be a great way to get going. Yeah, that's something that I really liked about seeing everyone's different setups is there's a lot of really fun DIY ways people have found to do them. Some of the main things that is kind of difficult to um, do without buying is like getting a good nutrient solution. But aside from that, like I've seen all kinds of different ways that people have used different substrates or different containers. We have, I've heard of like um, coffee uh, coffee container cracky systems where they drill a hole in the top and put a netting pot and then like rock wool and sometimes uh, what are cocoa pebbles or clay pebbles, clay pebbles. and pearly. Mm -hmm. to suspend the rock wool. So I like to ask you, what are some of the best foods that work hydroponically? What do you guys think are the best to try and grow in this type of system? Um, so it depends on like like are you asking like what like what your viewers would like to grow? Like what system should they be using it for essentially? Well, basically, like I mean, what are what are good plants that we're going to be eating that would 
grow well hydroponically? Are they lettuces? Are they like broccolis? I mean, what kinds of food or, or is grow. everything fine? So you can grow literally anything hydroponically. I think I actually found extension resources that detailed how to grow bananas hydroponically, which I don't know if I'd do that, but um, like the most common things that you're going to see are mainly going to be leafy greens. They're going to be the fastest and easiest to grow, but um, definitely tomatoes, peppers work great. I've seen cucumbers grown. Um, even stuff like strawberries will grow hydroponically. So if you if you really want to grow it, you probably can find a way to grow it hydroponics. There's just going to be a select number of things that are going to be the most successful, probably. Yeah, like you're not you're not going to be like growing an apple tree. Probably, I probably would not <laughs> recommend perennials and hydroponics. It may not go well. Probably won't. One of yeah, my favorite okay. things to grow is just different types of herbs. I've seen a lot. In our systems, we grow a lot of basil, parsley, and cilantro, but I've also seen people grow all kinds of other herbs. A lot of um, mint, though mint grown hydroponically is always interesting because you know how even in a garden, it just, it goes crazy. It does yes. the exact same thing in the hydroponic system. Like I'll see, I had a friend who had one and the mint had grown like underneath the lid of the hydroponic system into another Rockwell cube. And so <laughs> it was, you had to prune that one really aggressively. <laughs> But I find generally herbs and leafy greens are my favorite to grow there because they grow really quickly. And it's really nice for like a home like countertop garden because they tend to get uh, less pests, I've noticed, because they're not you're not putting them in soil. And you have them under LED lights. Most of our systems, we have one that is incandescent. And then in the do you do an out outdoor? system in the summer or is everything inside everything is inside just for the reason that um because it's a student-run club a lot of the a lot of the manpower behind it is going to be gone in the summer so it's not really feasible and honestly we we don't like to we have there's another club of the soil stewards that are on campus or actually near campus but they're organic production and we kind of try to not step on each other's toes so we don't want to go into that and then kind of be in that that marketplace so we stick to the winter markets is where we're most successful. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I'd like to share a short story because I'm, I moved from Minnesota about eight years ago and I was friends with a dairy farmer who lived in Western Wisconsin. And um, he, he was a very innovative farmer his you know, from a long, long family of dairy farmers, but this guy was very innovative and he um, had a few things going on. One was that he was producing methane from his cows and shipping some of that to 3M, but was keeping some of it and heating a greenhouse. And in that greenhouse, he was growing fish, tilapia, and um, he was using the waste from the tilapia to fertilize hydroponic plants, which were mostly lettuces that he then sold at the St. Paul, Minnesota farmer's market. I mean, my gosh, what a cycle of trying to, you know, um, save energy and produce food and all that. It was pretty fascinating. That's impressive. It's definitely the type of systems that really are very interesting to be the ones that self-consume. So they're not right as much outside resources they're definitely really impressive yeah so hydroponics can i i know it's resource maybe resource heavy but in this instance he was using what would be a waste product from you know dairy farming and trying to make the most out of it what an interesting way of uh approaching hydroponics yeah that sounds really fascinating Is we're hoping to like, oh go ahead mia oh something that 
we are hoping maybe in the future of our club is to try aquaponics someday. Um, right now we have one of our officers uh, is in the College of Natural Resources. So we've been hearing a little bit more about the potential of doing that. Okay. It's still probably a ways out though. Our club is fairly new. Right. That's great. The more you can learn, the more you can teach us. <laughs> Would you recommend hydroponics for just a home, a person living in town like Sandpoint? Is it really pretty easy? Uh, should Is there anything we should be worried about if we get going? I think it's relatively easy. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about it. I wouldn't be like stressed if you're trying to start it. But the only thing like you need to consider is just make sure you're very consistent with how you do things. Make sure you maintain your water level, your nutrients, check your pH often because um, the plants can be affected by changing conditions pretty quickly. Um, but I think it's a relatively user-friendly way to grow plants, honestly. And it's really enjoyable to watch how quickly it progresses. I really like one question, how do you start the seeds? Are they start, are you start those in little pellets or? So we start them in rock wool. So we'll get a seed germination tray and we'll stick them in rock wool. And um, all of our lettuce and greens, we just stick on top. And then for um, so like peppers or tomatoes where they need to be covered, we'll just put a bit of perlite on top of them. And then we'll just wet them down and put a tent over it so that it increases the humidity. And then you'll put those in the system, the little, Correct. right. Gosh, that's almost foolproof. It's, I think I could do it. I'll say it's really it's relatively straightforward, and as long as you have good, you have a good source of seed, you're you're going to get good yields. Um, just make sure you have high germination, high germination rate seed, and you should be pretty pretty set. Julie, you got a greenhouse. I think you ought to try I it. Do. I do. They're just there's no light this time of year. I have to get my lights out. Yes, that's true. <laughs> So uh, this has been so interesting. Um, do you, is there anything you'd like to add to the hydroponic portion of a program here, Daniel or um, Mia? I think I'd just add like if you you should also if you're if you're looking to get into hydroponics you should um, kind of think about what you want to grow most and orient to it. You're going to design a system based on that because um, for example if you're if you're wanting to get started DWC is great. It's really, um, it's a really forgiving system because especially if you use a raft, it'll float. So you'll not have as many issues with water, you know, draining out too far and your plants getting dried out. But um, that's great for leafy greens, um, any of your herbs that you're going to grow. And then if you're thinking more in the in the realm of peppers or tomatoes or something bigger, Dutch, buck, Dutch buckets or ebb and flow systems are great. So I would just keep that in mind if you're interested in hydroponics. Okay. Well, let's take a minute and define those because I'm not sure that we did that from the beginning. The first system you described was, did you say D DWC? Okay. What does that mean? So that stands for deep water culture. We have a couple different ones on campus, but the general setup in ours is we have like a big tub on which can vary based on size. And a lot of home ones, I see them being really small. And then we have these floating rafts that are essentially they're foam, aren't they? They're foams. And you can use foam from the hardware store to make them. You don't have to have a specific, like specifically made one for hydroponics. And the ways that ours work is the foam has these little cubes cut into it that fits the rock wool cubes. So after the seeds have germinated in the rock wool, we cut it up and then we put them into these floating rafts, which go in this big tub. And then that um, reservoir is going to be filled up with the nutrient-rich water. Plus, um, we can you can actually have an issue with when we 
when you have um, plants in sitting water of having like root rot. And so right. we'll actually, we'll have like big, um, like bubblers in there with air stones, kind of similar to the ones you see in aquariums. Yes. So you essentially have all these bubbles and it helps the water move around and get oxygen to the roots. And then, and that's the main setup for the DWCs. And then we have just lights on top to make sure they're getting enough supplemental lighting. Okay. And then the other system you described. So Dutch buckets are, um, essentially it's a tub with a um, drain at the bottom of it. And it's like a, it looks like a five gallon bucket. Ours are kind of squared off, but it's filled complete with perlite. And um, so we just have a drip emitter on top and we have them hooked to the same timer as our ebb and flow. And it'll run three times a day for about half an hour. So it'll just have a drip emitter running and it'll just drain the water to the bottom of the um, bottom of the tub back into the reservoir. So then the other one, the ebb and flow I was talking about, instead of having a drip emitter, there's a flood tray that all of the uh, buckets sit in and they're also full of perlite and we'll have them on a timer and the pump will just fill the, the uh, flood tray up a couple inches on top. And then it'll, once the, once the timer shuts off, the pump will turn off and the water will drain. Hmm. Okay. For the bigger plants, because of the bigger root system, and they got to stand up somehow. Yeah. Wow. Well, the deep water system sounds great for the, um, like a, the local person around here. You go get your thrift store aquarium and you're set, I think, right? Yeah. It works yeah. great for that. And then Dutch buckets are also adaptable. You can just use five gallon buckets from the hardware store and some dripping irrigation line. Nice. I don't know if we fully explained the NFT ones too. We have a couple of different um, NFT systems on campus and that's the nutrient film technique. And that's kind of what the um, the towers in our dining hall are, but we also have one that we call the green wall, which is in the IRIC. And that one's a bit more of a traditional NFT setup. So we have these big um, towers that kind of look like gutters. And inside we have a big like um, piece of, is it felt? There's felt in the center of it, but there's plastic like mesh around it. And mm -hmm. the plants sit in between on the felt and it acts like a wick. So we'll have yes. a drip emitter that just runs down and it'll move through the whip. And then the water all drains back into the same reservoir, so it gets cycled through. And that can be your vertical um, yeah. system. And that one's really fun because it's very space efficient because we can have all of them stacked completely vertically and then we can have lights shining. Usually we it kind of looks like a cage. We have like these um, lights that are just kind of supported on the side so that they're shining like horizontally onto the, onto the plants instead of like, you know, like sun coming from the top, this light's coming from the side. Yes. And so that one's really fun um, on campus because it's in a spot that a lot of people walk through. All right. Do, do, do your food service people use those vegetables or do you guys use them? I mean, who's who's picking them? So the ones in the, the green wall, we, we cut those and we also cut the harvest ones in the greenhouse as well. And we sell them at a uh, winter market here at a, it's called the 1912 Center. They host the winter markets for Moscow. So we sell produce there in the winter um, a couple times a year. And then uh, we also sell anything that we have left over to the eatery. So they'll buy any excess that we have and they take the produce off of the two towers in the eatery and serve them actually at the dining hall. But anything that goes to them, they'll actually use for students. So it does get used on the campus. Nice. That's great. And really not much for pest problems. Not a ton. There are some things in greenhouses that you just have to 
it's just an inevitable. Um, white flies are a pretty common problem. We've been lucky enough not to get any this year, so we didn't have problems with that. Um, aphids also occasionally happen, but compared to um, conventional production, I would say it's much less of a problem. Mm -hmm. That's actually one of the major benefits of hydroponics, because if you're, I actually got a tour um, our potato seed lab here on campus, and a lot of times after they take them out of uh, tissue culture, they'll put them in hydroponics before they go into soil, because as soon as you introduce these plants to soil, then there's a lot of potential to introduce diseases to them. But if they're in hydroponics, then it's a lot easier to keep everything closer to sterile. Yeah, talk about the scab problem in my potato patch, yuck. Yes, so that hydroponic gets the roots started and uh, going strong. Yeah, and so there's a lot of different ways you can use hydroponics for that. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for describing those three methods because that is really interesting and lots to think about. Really neat. Now, could you give us your address there at the university? Is there any that we could get information if people are interested in contacting you guys or learning more about what you're doing there? Do you have a web page for your hydroponics club? So we have um, we do have social a social media and where we post a lot of we'll post like some pictures of our systems there and some of the things we're doing. And that I believe is um, hydroponics at uh, UI. At UI. Oh yeah, hydro I think our our thumb our handle is um, hydroponics hydroponics club with no spaces. At at you. Um, well, that's what our Instagram one is. But our Gmail is, is that hydroponics club at Gmail. And you hydroponics UI at Gmail. I can I can double check it, but yeah, because it might be fun to see some photos of what these things look at if listeners are getting excited about starting their own. Group. Yeah. So we don't have a website, but our um, Instagram does actually have quite a few photos. I'm just checking right now. And it's hydroponics club with um, no spaces, no dash or anything. And the email is hydroponicsclub at gmail.com. Okay. If folks would want to get in contact. You guys yeah, are amazing students. That's yes. fantastic. Yeah, they might have some questions. You might get some questions from people as far as uh, helping helping them set up. I hope that that'll work for you guys. It, it would help us a lot to um, maybe get an interest in hydroponics up here. We have a lot of growers and a real strong um, small small farming community here, and people are going to be excited about this. That's great. We'll be happy to hear from people. Great, great. Thank you. Um, and we finish every interview because this is called Garden Life. It's it's about the gardening and how it affects our lives. And so um, I'm going to ask both you, Daniel and Mia, what is it about growing, about this occupation that, that enriches your lives? Beginning with Daniel, tell us that. I would say the education aspect of it and being able to um, teach people, like show them how to go from just a small seed and a, and a system to very large lettuce plants or tomatoes or whatever it is. It's just enjoyable to see other people understand how it works and be able to apply it. That's what I, I get a lot of that out of, out of this club. And Daniel, you've just graduated. What did you graduate with? Uh, a Bachelor's of Science of Biotechnology and Plant Genomics. Hmm. That's fantastic. And what are your plans? Where will you, where are you, are you working there in Moscow now? 
I'm currently working at the university, yes. Okay. And Mia, what, share with us your antidote, why this kind of gardening enriches your life. So I've always really loved gardening, but something that I particularly really loved about this club is, you know, how like during the summer and fall, there's just all this green and all these, at, we're up here in Moscow where there's just beautiful landscape and gardening all over. And then during the winter, there's just pretty much nothing. And so something that really drew me into the club is that in the middle of winter in, you know, December and January, you can walk into one of our, into like our bay and it's bright with our bright grow lights. And we have these right now we're growing tomatoes and they just are giant. They're trying to grow into the ceiling. We had some that are trying to like grow around the lights. They just grow everywhere. And so you get to walk into this room and it's smells like plants and everything's bright and there's all this green. And it's something that I, I really enjoy, especially after a long day of studying. Yeah, it's like your own personal uh, Caribbean vacation or something. You get a <laughs> get is, out yeah. of winter. Nice. And Mia, what are you studying? Share with us that that. So right now I'm dual majoring in horticulture and crop science. Okay. Fantastic. Gosh, it's just it's been so great meeting you two and listening to all the excitement down there. It's made me really excited about hydroponics, something <laughs> I didn't know much about at all. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Uh-huh. So we've had Daniel Guillory and Mia Wanstrom from the University of Idaho Hydroponics Club here joining us on KRFY Garden Life. And, and thank you so much to both of you. Thank you.